Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope that you are all well. Before we get started, I would like to give a very special shout out to the Patreon members of Back to Ashes. Cindy Cleveland, Tavia S, Enderscare Wifey, Samantha, Andale, aka OKV, Tina Mead, Mana Ash, Felicia Scott, and House of Jen. Thank you all so much for joining the new membership. Down below in the description, you will find the Patreon link if you would like to become the newest member of the Patreon membership. As well, if you like what you are hearing, you can buy me a coffee. And if you would like to join the membership of Back to Ashes here on YouTube, you'll find all of that in the description below. Everyone is in for a treat today, as normally I start with small stories and work my way up to the larger ones, but all except for the very first story, all of these stories will be very long, so there's going to be a lot of narration. And with that being said, it is time to go back to ashes, for when we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or... Tuck in to get warm and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled True Deep Woods Stories. Right after this introduction, there will be an ad. I'll read the first story. There'll be another ad. And throughout the remainder of the video, there will be no more ads. Quick note before I get started. Today's rain sound is actual rain falling in nature. So if you think it sounds like wind or static, I assure you it's not. It's actual Mother Nature's beautiful rain sounds. Enjoy. This happened on a backwoods creepy highway road somewhere between Georgia and Florida in the 80s. My family has always been a Midwestern road trip family since dad does not like flying. When I was a preteen, we took one of many road trips to Florida and mom and dad both would drive for the entire 24 hours just to stop to eat and take breaks and get gas. I have always been a light road sleeper and wake up for anything. The reason why this story sticks with me so well is that it is one of the only times I've seen both my parents show signs of being scared. Something as a kid I really never saw. In the middle of the night, I remember waking up to my parents talking about something in a concerning tone. The windows were open, since we were far enough south now to be out of crappy November Midwest weather. Once I wake up, they both stopped talking, so I sit up thinking they were arguing or something, and that I stopped it. I look out the window and see nothing, just like trees and fields, the moon and electrical poles, but nothing. No houses, no other cars, nothing, nothing, nothing. I ask where we are and my mom actually says, I don't know. So now I'm really like, what the fuck? I say, are we lost? And they both just say nothing. And then I hear music like our car radio playing, but it's coming from outside. Just loud enough like it's a car next to us, but we're the only car on the road. But not loud enough to make out the exact song, it's just music. And my parents are listening to it too, really quietly. So I say, where's that music coming from? And there is a pause and my mom finally says, I don't know. So I say, is it our radio, Mom? 
and my mom says no. And then suddenly, my dad says very, very calmly, Honey, roll up your window. And my mom practically has a heart attack getting the window rolled up. I went back to sleep somehow, but I had no idea what was happening. All I remember is my dad driving the fastest he's ever driven in his life. I'm a wilderness survivor instructor and security contractor. A couple days ago, a student of mine and good friend, who I had taken out into the woods before, told me his dad just got 150 acres of land in a secluded, mountainous part of my state. It had a large amount of forest on it that hadn't been explored yet, as his dad was only building something for his horses that took up about a hundred yards of the property, and his horses were free to roam at the moment. He said his dad got an insane deal on the property. My friend is now a dad of three, and I know he doesn't get out into the woods that often, so I agreed to go with them, because it seemed really fun, and I could imagine he needs a getaway every now and then. We are both indigenous, into cars, into wilderness survival, and all sorts of stuff, so we never run out of anything to talk about while we're in the woods. His dad, however, told us that he didn't want anybody exploring the woods unless we had a gun. He said it was because he saw coyotes. Now, we're all indigenous here. We were raised in the same state. Coyotes don't actually attack people, really. My friend, who we'll call R.C., also told me a while back, when he was first at the property, he saw movement in the tree lines that was roughly human size and shape, but couldn't really tell since his eyesight isn't all that good. I brought my AR and a small flint napping kit just for the fun of it, and we set off into the property. We explored a lot of the rolling fields, creeks, multiple natural springs and ponds. Everything felt normal. It was a beautiful landscape. Eventually, we decided to get into the forested part of the property, as it hadn't been explored yet. As soon as we entered the tree line, the entire mood shifted. The forest had an ambiance of its own, very similar to the woods in the movie The Ritual. The woods were gray and dead silent, except for the occasional creaking of tall, tired cedar trees. There was a very small stream running through the center of it, with sand that was black. It felt like we were surrounded, being watched from all sides. It didn't take long before a very putrid stench hit our nostrils. It was the odor of rotting flesh. We decided to follow the smell and found the remains of three to four cows. We examined the exposed skulls and couldn't find any bullet holes. It didn't appear to me that these cows had been put down. Something killed them, though, and their bones were spread over about 30 yards. 
There were large indentions in the dirt all around them that were very vague in their shape. We decided to press on into the woods. Now we were accompanied only by silence, the putrid odor of death and the sound of our own heartbeats. We kept stopping at the stream as I noticed several different types of tracks. Large coyote tracks and something else that was large, but intentionally avoided the sand it seemed. We pressed on into the woods until we started to find trees that had been bent over and pinned behind other trees while they were still alive. Something that could never, ever happen naturally. We hiked on and found what I can only describe as a tool made of bone lying on the ground. It was extremely crude, but looked like some kind of scooping tool or knife. It was disturbing because, although it looked primitive, it looked way more primitive than a person would make, but an intentionally shaped tool nonetheless. We hiked on until we found a clearing with a pond that had more large oval tracks surrounding it. On the other side of the pond, we found a very strange little tree structure. It was an A-frame. It had rocks placed up against it. However, it wasn't that sturdy, and the rocks were very peculiar in their placement. We found no signs of any campfires around it. We found no camping trash. This isn't exactly a place you could hike to from a house. I photographed and made a video of the little hut thing. It was getting dark, so we decided we should head back. I had a flashlight on my AR, but I didn't want to rely on that in the dark. With something that kills cows and makes tools out of their bones somewhere behind us. We made our way out of the forest and back to where the trucks were parked, just in time before it got too dark to see. As we were leaving, we saw something on top of one of the hills that we couldn't really identify, but didn't stick around to find out what it was. It's worth mentioning the previous owner began construction on something on the property, abruptly halted construction and left. No notes, no letters, no phone calls. He just simply vanished. This is a quick story from when I was growing up in northern Kentucky in the 90s. I would have been right around 10, maybe a little older. I'm in my 30s now, but I vividly remember this happening and I still think about it all the time. My best friend lived with his grandparents for a bit on several acres of land in Walton, Kentucky, and I spent almost every weekend there. They never really did much with the land. It remained relatively cleared out. There were no farms or structures on it. They had a horse stable near the house, but that was it. My friend had received a go-kart for his birthday, so we were out driving it around the open land. It was just the two of us, and we were having a blast riding this thing around. It was getting close to dusk, and we knew we were going to have to pack it in pretty soon. We came to a stop, 
and the engine cut out, and almost at the same time, both of us had this strange feeling wash over us. We felt like we were being watched by something. It's weird how our lizard brains can still even process something like this, but we both agreed there was just this weird overbearing feeling. We hadn't heard his grandpa's truck and we were too far out to be seen from the house. So we started looking around. We were in an open field in the middle of their land and it was surrounded by trees and tall brush. But something caught my eye first and I got my friend to look in that same direction. In that brush, we could see a long, almost black shape sitting very still. I know at this point in the story, most of you might be thinking, "Mm, Bigfoot. I can say I remember things being dead silent. Even now, I sometimes wonder if it was something else we saw, but all I remember is thinking it was a giant black wolf. I would guess it was maybe 200 feet away from us, and it was sitting perfectly still. But to me, anyway, it looked furry. I couldn't make out any other features like ears or eyes. But I swear, this is what I think was watching us. It's like when you see a cat getting ready to pounce. That was what it felt like. We were both getting really spooked by this point. The sun was getting down behind the tree line, and one of us was going to have to jump out and pull start the engine back up. We were whispering about what it was that was watching us. Honestly, I forget which one of us jumped out and started the cart back up. But when we looked back at where the black shape was, it was gone. The go-kart didn't have lights, so we drove as fast as we could back to his grandparents' house, and we told them what we saw. His grandpa said we probably saw a coyote or maybe a boar, but the shape was long and low and... I don't know... Coyote just doesn't sit well in my head with what I saw. Not to mention it was pitch black and furry. Every few years I think about this story and I've read that there are no wolves in Kentucky anymore. I think I've just convinced myself it was a coyote or something. But the memory has stuck in my head all this time. Nothing else ever happened on his grandparents' land aside from a really bad car accident a few years later and some missing chickens again. Coyotes would explain that. Every once in a while, the horses would get really riled up at night. We would go camping on the land and fishing a lot, and we had a lot of fun around there. Anyway, that was my little short spooky story. What are your thoughts? Do you think it was a wolf, coyote, a boar, or maybe even Bigfoot? To this day, I still don't know. I think I'm still convinced it was a wolf. Before I begin, here is a brief background. I want to begin by clarifying that the majority of this story is a prelude to my actual upcoming amateur investigation. 
What I'll be documenting in the story is essentially a compilation of stories that I've been told, some retellings of others, and also what little I've already checked out myself. I will not claim validity to any of the accounts I'm about to give you. All I can be certain of is that I trust dearly the person from which I continue to get a lot of these stories, as they are the mother of a close friend I've known for over ten years. Honestly, some of this stuff gets a little weird for belief, but I intend to put that to the test however I can very soon. The place I call my hometown, and current town, is a Kentucky county comprised of old coal mining towns that, at one time, had a bustling economy. A little place called Arlington, Kentucky. Unfortunately, coal mining died a slow and painful death, and so is my home. This saddens me greatly. Arlington is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen, nestled into the heart of one of the oldest mountain ranges on Earth. The Appalachian Mountains have a tangible natural spirit to them. I also believe that they are host to a variety of things we do not understand. I, along with my girlfriend and roommate, often hike on old trails around the county in hopes of finding interesting sights to see. We are always looking for somewhere neat to hike far out in the sticks. I had a friend of mine ask some of his work buddies if they knew of any rural pathways to test out. One of them mentioned that his father had hiked the path ascending a mountain beside what we call the old lake, and that the place scared him to death. The old lake is part of a forsaken wildlife management area about 10 miles outside of town toward the state lines at the base of Mount Mason. The government property lines only go so far. Beyond that is private land owned by a local wealthy family, presumably abandoned as well. The man's father told of how he had once hiked along the ascending trail that follows the creek from the lake and up into the mountains past the WMA boundaries. I will refer to this trail as Lonesome Creek. The man crested a hill and prepared to briefly rest upon a flat spot. He quickly took notice of a shady campsite that had evidently been set up on the flat for some time. The site was unremarkable at first glance. Nothing there but a fire pit surrounded by wooden chairs but he could just barely see something else beyond the tree line. It looked as though someone haphazardly poked big sticks into the surrounding forest. A closer look revealed that what he was looking at were pikes staked into the dirt and adorned with severed cat heads. The man's hair raised up as he felt something out there laying its eyes on him. He quickly put distance between himself and Lonesome Creek and never again so much as visited the old lake. After hearing this story, it dawned on me that I had been told something similar years ago. This story, too, implied possible ritualistic activity on Mount Mason, 
As it goes, a mutual friend and his cousin had taken their ATVs on Lonesome Creek at night. Some time into their ride, the pair spotted a makeshift sitting area right in the middle of the trail. It was shabbily constructed with a few chairs, as well as something like a preacher holds his Bible on. I think they were talking about a pulpit stand. Even more frightening was a recently doused fire in front of the said pulpit. Someone had been there just before they arrived. The two riders killed their engines and unseated themselves, looking around the ridge with their flashlights. As the silence soaked in, they could make out faint voices just beyond some trees on a steep incline near a ridge. Needless to say, they didn't bother shining their lights and left in a hurry. They probed no further. Remembering this incident was enough to have me look deeper into this harrowing mystery. The occult aspect of Appalachia has always intrigued me. Everything from folk magic to the blackest of practices pervades the history of the hill folk and their predominantly Scottish-Irish ancestors whom emigrated long ago. In the spirit of curiosity, my girlfriend and I took a midday ride up to the backside of the old lake, opposite from the frequented dockside where families boat fish. The road was in rough shape, and upon arrival, it was obvious from the massive amount of trash that the Department of Fish and Wildlife had long abandoned this WMA. We walked up the seemingly well-traveled path against the downward stream of this titular creek. After reaching the marked end of the WMA, approximately a half a mile in, we decided it was wise to go no further. The sheer seclusion of the place pulled me in, but I needed to take time to plan carefully and gather up a few willing folks to walk along the old Lonesome Creek Trail. A quick check of Google Maps confirmed the garbage-ridden lakeside to indeed be the bottom of the trail. The path appeared to follow the creek up to a massive rocky ridge that wraps around the side of Mount Mason, leading to an overview of the newer, larger lake a few miles over. Finding out where to go was simple enough. I suspected that getting there would not be as such. Exploration The following Saturday, I managed to gather and prepare four of my friends, with which to set out to the old lake. Two of us came with firearms. The other two brought knives and mace. Confident yet anxious, we left the dirty lakeside and headed up parallel to the creek, the lower part of the trail was lined with large jutting rocks that formed caves below and continued up the mountainside. These enormous jagged pieces seemed to have fallen long ago from the massive ridge above which topped Mount Mason like a crown. Past the caves and closer to the lowest part of the ridge, the trail aligned into a rocky old creek bed, now diverted and empty. We stopped to rest at the bottom of a switchback, now at high enough elevation to be cradled by a lower 
portion of the ridge overhanging the trail's connecting elbow. After some respite under the stone's shade, we began our ascent to the top. The path soon wound away from the creek and continued to repeatedly switch back and forth up the side of a steep, stunningly green hill. Studded into the landscape were small scattered stones lain upon by long-fallen trees, all covered in moss of a believably ancient color. From this point on, the trail was faint but identifiable. Despite the trash at the trailhead, this high-up forest looked absolutely untouched. After mounting the hill, we wound through thick growth made of tree I have never seen. Low-hanging branches of a round profile surrounded the thin trunk, appearing like a cross between a weeping willow and an acorn tree. Besides that, there were quite a few other types of foliage I had never seen before. Once atop the hill, we finally checked in on Google Maps to see how far along the trail we were. To our dismay, we were pinpointed way off the trail on the map. This startled me considering there was only one visible trail along the whole path. What was even more startling is that we ended up on a trail not listed on Google Maps. Admittedly, this wasn't too worrisome since the pathway was fairly defined despite not seeing much action. We assessed that we should make the best of the situation anyway and press on a little further to make good use of the remaining daylight. Google Maps showed that we were near a rock crawling and ATV tourist attraction on the state line called Hole in the Rock a wagon tunnel that cut through the mountain's crown near the top. However, the last and only check-in for the area was five years prior. Apparently, we had found ourselves on an old wagon trail stretching from our side through the tunnel and into the next on the other side. The place was really old for sure. Exciting was the notion of trekking through an archaic commerce road passing over the old Native American land of Mount Mason. Interesting stuff. We resolved to find the wagon tunnel and descend before dark, but we did not make it there in time before having to turn around. I'll go ahead and tell you that nothing exciting happened, about which I am both disappointed and relieved. After hiking back down without incident, as expected, we left behind the old lake, it was hard not to dwell upon the chilling isolation felt at Lonesome Creek. The land was empty and quiet, not at all marred by frequent travel. I'm deadly serious when I tell you that this place had a very different energy than your typical nature trail. It evoked an unsettling combination of serenity and oppression. I found it to be the perfect place for strangeness in the primordial wilderness. Lonesome Creek seemed as isolated from the rest of Arlington as Appalachia is to the rest of America. It can be easily ascertained that isolation of the spirit would certainly breed desolation of the soul. Investigation 
Yesterday, I rang up a lady, we will call her Marla, whom I have known for quite a long time. Marla has been investigating the weird and wild for almost 20 years and has written a few books about local Kentucky myths, folklore, and paranormal stories. She has, with her own resources, even helped find the identification of an early 20th century cold case victim. Conveniently enough, it just also happens that she and her family live about a mile from the old lake. I knew that if anyone could point me to something, it would be Marla. To be quite honest, I did not expect the volume or magnitude of some of the things she told me on that phone call. I have no bias towards the truth of the two stories I've already recounted. This is different to me. I believe this woman with everything in my soul, and I do not consider myself naive. I will relay to you the information she has given me, which consists of her own experiences as well as the accounts of her family members. I will do my best to tell them faithfully. When Marla married and moved to the Old Lake Road, it seemed nice enough, rural and quiet. She had her first child in 1993, who would grow up to be one of my best friends. When he was barely a toddler, his maternal and paternal grandfathers often took him into the woods across the road from their house, through their family cemetery and up a long dirt path. One day, Marla received a call from her father, asking her to tell her father-in-law, who lived on the same property as Marla and her husband, not to take her son into the mountains that day. He said he'd seen some strange folk camping up there who seemed a little suspect. Her father must have been pretty concerned because later that evening, the state police showed up at the cemetery. The authorities informed Marla that they had to run off some people up on the mountain, that they appeared to be trying to set up a site to regularly meet and loiter for whatever purpose. Before leaving the cemetery, the policeman she was speaking to told her plainly, Between you and me, they were doing some strange things up there. When pressed, he would not say. He would just shake his head and decline to answer. About a year later, Marla got the gall to go with her husband up to where the police ran off the loitering creeps. She claims to have found small animal bones scattered around a clearly once-established site and a concrete slab fitted into the dirt and etched with what she described as obviously evil symbology. This was a time before cell phones, so she has no photo evidence. The next weird experience to befall Marla did not come for almost six years. It seemed to have spooked her more than anything else, she has told me. One evening, Marla thought it would be fun to take her son, who was then age seven, on a walk to the old lake to check out the creek, catch salamanders and find rocks as they often did along the river which runs behind their property. They made their way to the lake and followed Lonesome Creek up towards the initial incline and past the marked WMA area. Apart from the creek babble, Marla caught ear of what sounded like loud voices further into the woods. 
as she and her son continued up to face the second incline. It became evident that a group of people were gathered towards Mason's crown. A loud voice echoed from above, booming and fervent, like that of a typical southern preacher. The voice spoke rapidly and was periodically answered by a group of voices which spoke in unison. Marla and her son listened closely. The chanting began to cease and everything fell quiet. The eerie silence was broken by the man's booming voice, angrily shouting in Marla's direction from high atop the ridge. Marla grabbed her son and ran all the way back down to the trailhead, fearing that whoever gathered there had seen her and was warding her off. Like the others, she's never been back to Lonesome Creek. Years after her experience with the chanting voices, Marla recounted a time her father and father-in-law had been a part of something unexplainable when traveling the trail from the Kentucky side of Mount Mason. Though they followed a path that both had walked many times before, the two men became disoriented and got lost. Marla's father said that an anxious feeling washed over him and suddenly it was as if they simply were somewhere else entirely. They made it home unharmed and in an amount of time they described as unusually short but were never able to explain the event. It was later realized that they had somehow ended up on the other side of the state line of Mount Mason, way out there. This was not her only account of this phenomenon. Just two years after the incident, her father described, two fish and wildlife officials showed up at her house in the middle of basically nowhere. The men admitted that they had no clue where they were. They told Marla they were trying to get to their destination on the neighbor state side, but somehow became lost and ended up on the Kentucky side. I find it unsettling that despite having maps and being otherwise familiar with their territory, they ended up miles and miles off track. Marla noted that they were visibly shaken by the experience. As time has crept almost 20 years past, Marla has searched for answers to her experiences, but has found few. The only presumption she has glanced is that there have been unexplainable forces in these mountains since they were settled, and probably long before. Appalachia is closed tied with various oddities and old traditions, both good and bad. Benign covens of witches yet existent within unbroken bloodlines. Wannabe satanic sects composed of lunatics who gain pleasure through infliction of suffering. Old secret societies once prominent, but that have since died with cold countries, prosperous towns dotted across all of rural Appalachia. There is much to be uncovered, and there is even more that should be altogether left alone. Afterward and Continuation If you think about it for a moment, this sort of place really is a perfect hiding place for things of a darker nature. An isolated mountain range with an ancient soul, wherein you can find whatever old secrets you may be looking for. 
My dilemma is whether or not trying to find them is a good idea. The things I've written are the only bits of information that Marla has given me, revelant to the ill air at Lonesome Creek in Mount Mason. There is much more that she has shared with me regarding other areas in Arlington and surrounding counties that I will share at a later time. I fully intend on going back to follow the stream of Lonesome Creek itself up the mountain and onto that ridge. I want to be fully prepared to investigate the secrets of the creepy old wagon trail, where dark things surely take place. Interestingly enough, I have discovered that a wealthy old family in Arlington owns the suspect property along the ridge. Maybe next time we will find the path to get there. Marla and I are supposed to meet up in person in the next coming weeks so that I can write down more of her stories in better detail. Stay tuned for more. These stories all happen to me at a popular national park. They are true, and while they might not be the craziest stories out there, I find them of interest. Story number one. The first story starts with me trekking into the desert on my own. I am in my mid-twenties. I started to camp and hike alone quite a bit. And when I hiked, I would seek as remote a location as possible. I'm a five foot five inch petite female and honestly made some dumb decisions, wearing headphones while wandering terrain alone. But I had a lot of fun and have since gotten smarter about handling myself in the wilderness. I had hopped in my car and headed to the desert as I so often do and pick the spot to park where there are no cars, tourists, people of any sort, grab my pack and headphones, and excitedly hopped out of the car to go off and explore and climb some rocks in the distance. I'm feeling good until I get not even a mile out and I see this huge bullet in the dirt. My dad, who was law enforcement and was National Guard later, said the way I described the size, it had to be from a grounded gun, and there was no way someone could just walk through the desert with this weapon. Something about it unsettled me, and I didn't know if I should bring it to the ranger or what. I felt weird taking it with me, so I ended up awkwardly burying it and moving on. For whatever reason, it put me in intense unease. I felt jumpy and jarred, none of the usual relaxation I have on my treks. A few steps later, I hear the weirdest noise I have ever heard in my entire life. It was this high-pitched buzzing or electric noise that just encompassed the space around me. Now, if you know the desert, you know the acoustics can sometimes get weird since noise bounces off rocks. But this was akin to nothing I've heard, and my instinctual reaction was sheer panic. I fumble for my phone and surprisingly have reception, so I call my then-boyfriend, and he tells me it's probably nothing, and I should go enjoy myself. I take a few more steps, and the noise instantly starts again, louder, and my body is screaming to hightail it back to the car, and which I do. 
I'm stumbling over myself and back on the phone with my boyfriend, feeling like I'm being chased. I make it back and feel a rush of relief as I get into my car. I know this might sound anticlimactic, but the amount of fear I felt in that moment is something I have never felt before or since. It felt like a warning of sorts to stay the hell away. I strongly believe in intuition, so I trusted my gut that it was not anything good. I am hoping someone had experienced something similar or has insight. I've yet to Google anything useful. Story number two. Story two takes place at the same national park. One thing I love about this park is there's a fairly decent chance you'll see weird stuff in the sky at night. I attribute it to the fact that there is a military test pilot base fairly close by. But what you see is some really strange phenomena. This was the most interesting one I've seen. The openness of the desert makes it easy to see the beautiful night sky above you. One particular night, I look up and see some objects flying high up and off into the distance. If I remember correctly, one was white and one was red. They moved in strange formations, and at paces too fast for any aerial physics that I know of. I can't imagine the G-force involved or how we could have technology that allows for speed that fast. I am in awe watching this for a while, them zipping around and to make things even more baffling, they moved in diagonal lines at certain points, like literally making acute angle turns on a hairpin. They would also sometimes pause and suspend, then zip around some more. The final spectacular was when I start to see them fly towards each other and seemingly merge into one object. It then changes color. I can't remember the color, just that it changed. This now singular object shines a little brighter, then slowly fades out to nothing. I'm sure I'm missing a few details, but it was one of the most bizarre and amazing things I've ever seen. Again, I'm guessing it's military-related, so either they have some crazy aerial technology, or they are in cahoots with extraterrestrial Story number three. The last story is more of an annoyance. I found some rocks on the main trail where someone had performed some ritual, which I'm not necessarily against the occult, but there was what looked like blood there and that I was absolutely not okay with. Probably some dumb kids trying to be cool. But anyways, I love nature and the desert in particular holds a very special and magical place in my heart. Anyway, thank you for listening to my story. Always stay safe out there. My friends and I decided to go camping one spring break. We had planned a week in advance, and as the day got closer, the weather got worse. It was cold and gray, unheard of for Arkansas. The night finally came along with yet another cold front. It was in the 30s, but we had dressed warm and stocked up on whiskey and beer. The plan was to hit a spot my buddy knew, which was barely accessible with his 4x4. We wanted to really camp, 
none of those designated sites for families and seniors in RVs. So we aimed away from civilization, which was only made up by a single stoplight and a couple hundred people, and drove into the woods. After 30 minutes of bone-rattling dips across dry creek beds and detours around trees, it started to rain. By the time we found camp, it turned into hail. The spot was marked by an ancient dirt road a few hundred feet long and the rotting carcass of a Volkswagen bug. That night, we spent passing a bottle around, hoping we'd figure out the tents before we got too drunk. Eventually, we did and managed to start a fire with diesel. At this point, the hail had stopped. The empty whiskey bottle lay broken in the fire, and we had a decent pile of empties growing. We drank, we played cards, we passed out in our tents. The next morning, I gradually regained consciousness to the sound of something large being dragged past my tent. It was what looked like to have once been a station wagon, stripped and rust-covered, dragging the Volkswagen with a chain. The Volkswagen had been there for so long that the floor had rotted out and roots had tied it to the forest floor. They lay scattered in the wake of the wagon. A woman was driving, a man beside her and three shirtless kids sat in the back where there used to be seats. The man stared out the window, away from us, the entire time. The children had dirt smeared on their faces, which illuminated their glassy thousand-yard stares. It's the look of crushing poverty, and you're probably only seen it in pictures. It exists in war-torn countries, the projects in inner cities and the deep south, so deep that the old gas station back in town a place you'd probably jokingly hum the deliverance theme. That was the city to these people. She spoke in a deep nicotine and whiskey-soaked drawl. Y'all come from the city to do some camping. Well, reckon that's fine. Long as you ain't getting into no drugs. Y'all ain't doing drugs, are you? We actually weren't. Just drinking then? Hell, I like a drink now and again my damn self. That's fine. That's just fine. Wanna know how I knowed y'all was here? Seen them black helicopters flying around? Them some boys that work for me. See, this is my land, and they told me. Can't be too careful. Figured I'd best check it on out. She started laughing. Mucus bubbled up to wet her dry cackle. The man stared out at nothing. One of the children put both hands on the window and gazed through us. His mouth hung open and spit cut a line through the filth on the glass. He was probably ten years old. Y'all know Bethany? We didn't. Ha! (laughs) Everyone knows old Beth. Y'all go to church? I lied. Good. Ain't got time for those that don't fear God. Why don't you come on to church tomorrow? You can meet Bethany. It's just over that hill up there. Can't miss it. Boy, she'd sure like to meet y'all. They all would. We assured her we would. 
She drove away into the trees, slowly dragging the Volkswagen. As soon as she left, we all looked at each other and started laughing. It was just nerves. There wasn't anything funny about it. We all have the remnants of a primitive warning system for danger. It's been eroded for living safe and civilized, but every once in a while, it goes off and you obey it without a question. Something is wrong. It started before she spoke, when I looked into her eyes. Something is wrong. The kids, the man, her laugh. Something is wrong. Eventually, we did hike up the hill. You could see for a mile. There was nothing. No buildings, no clearings, just forest. We cut our trip short, packed up, and left before noon. I go hunting in southern Illinois on property that my family owns. The place is my second home, and I've spent countless hours exploring all around every inch of it. Caught all the fish in the area, hunted every legal game, and spotted the rest. So when I say that I've never had an experience like this, just remember that this was my domain that I felt comfortable in, in any weather, at any time, with any equipment, or lack thereof. Two deer seasons ago, I had pulled into the farm at probably about 4.40 in the morning. November, so at least two hours till sunlight. I pull myself out of the truck and walk into the woods. I have my shotgun and a revolver and knife on my belt. An elbow light clipped to the front of me, a thermos of coffee, and a backpack with a book and a couple other things for cleaning my deer should I get lucky. So I walk off the drive and into the woods. The tree stand I'm going to is less than a mile away, but through some dense second-growth forest and down a rather steep hill, across some bottoms, then a lung-burning steep climb up to another ridge. I always dread the hike, but it's a good spot, so I often do it. I make it down to the bottoms, slush through the icy muck and get to climbing. With my flashlight clipped to my chest, I keep needing to physically turn my body to throw the beam around and see trees that I recognize to determine my path. This, of course, always gives the forest a horror movie vibe, even on the best of days. The leaves and underbrush are encased in frost, so every one of my steps comes with a solid crunch, no matter how quiet I'm trying to be. This time, though, I noticed there was more noise than usual. Something else was crunching close by, too. I walked about a quarter of the way up the hill, listening to my company the whole time, seeming to stay the same distance away as I moved. Naturally, I think to myself that I'm going to have a quick hunting day. So I plop my ass down next to a tree. Can't shoot till first light, but I'm hoping if I stay really still, they, whatever I'm hearing, will lounge around until then. So I click my light off, unsling the shotgun, and lay it over my knees to wait. Except I don't hear shit now. 
Whatever it was must have been spooked by my flashlight spinning all around as I sat. I still sat a bit, sipping some coffee to make sure, but gave up after 15 minutes or so of deaf silence from the forest floor. I probably didn't make even four steps before the second moving thing starts again. At this point, I'm still not freaked out. I stay facing the way I am and flip the light off again and sidestep behind a tree. Sure enough, I don't hear anything again. Two minutes of sitting there, frustrated, before I start moving again, and my friend does too. This is when I started to get freaked out, because I worked my way up the hill, stopping to turn and look every so often. When I stopped, the sound would go on for just an infinitesimally longer amount of time than my own steps, like something seeing me stop and doing its very best to stop before I heard it. This happened no less than four times, and by now I'm sweating bullets and freezing cold because I'm sweating bullets in the middle of winter. I abandoned my thermos near a tree so I could hold my flashlight and my revolver at the same time. The last hundred feet or so to my stand was done backwards so that I could be facing the noise and, in theory, keep it from moving. And I didn't hear shit again after that. I got up into my stand and smoked like five cigarettes in a row. It gave me a sense of security being up in a tree behind camouflage. Still, I only hunted for like an hour of daylight and went back early. And I wasn't f- moving slow heading back to the truck, even with the sun shining bright. I haven't told my family about it because they wouldn't believe me. But damn was it freaky. The sound and when it decided to happen felt very human, which it likely was, as poachers and trespassers occasionally wander onto our property. Still, ever since then, when I go hunting, I'm much better about letting people know where I'm going and for how long. I was backpacking with my dog and about 12 miles from the road and trailhead, so pretty far from people, though popular enough that other hikers might be around, though we saw no one all day. About 2 a.m., my dog started this really low, deep growl and wakes me up. I turn on my headlamp and see his teeth showing, and he's right on top of me. I hear footsteps, maybe it was a black bear or moose, near the tent. I leash my dog so he doesn't tear through the tent, and the footsteps move further away, but keep circling my tent. All of my food and toiletries are hung in a tree in a bear bag. Nothing in the tent to draw a bear's attention. I clap my hands. Something is still slowly circling. Not something a moose would do. And a bear might if he wanted food. But I've got nothing and a really big dog with me. I decide to step out of the tent with the leash in one hand and bear spray in the other, yelling, Hey bear! The footsteps stop. The dog's nose is in the air, telling me to look right, but nothing in my headlamp that I can see. I didn't hear anything run off, but it's quiet. I give it five minutes or so, get back in the tent, and it starts up again, 
slowly circling maybe 50 feet from me. Maybe an hour later, I hear the footsteps wander off into the woods. At dawn, I take the dog and the bear spray and start looking for tracks. I find a clear path in the leaves that had been trampled, but no tracks. The dog's nose is on the ground and I follow his lead, and he follows the loop around our campsite. We finally see a few human footprints. Not shoe tracks, a regular size, not Bigfoot. Bare human foot. Plus, yup, a human turd in toilet paper. Some hole was wandering around the middle of nowhere near the tent and circling my tent for an hour or more and left a f- dump for me to find. That was my story, so here are some answers to the questions that some of you had about my story. Number one, hiking and backpacking are incredibly safe. I've been doing this for decades, and this is the only weird experience I've ever had. The hiking community is incredibly friendly. The trails have become more crowded since COVID, and you definitely see more people on trails and less trail courtesy. Litter, leaving dog poop bags, pooping too close to the trail and not bearing your poop. Also, I was very far away from civilization. Bad guys don't hike 12 miles to do harm and I'm pretty sure they don't carry toilet paper. The only incident that I know of was an emotionally disturbed person stabbed two hikers in an Adirondack shelter somewhere in the southern part of the Appalachian Trail five or six years ago. I've hiked thousands of miles without a single dangerous human interaction. Number two, I don't hike with a gun. They are too much weight to add for me on long multi-day hikes. I'm hiking in the northeast, The biggest predator to fear are black bear, coyote, and bobcats. All of those are afraid of humans, especially this far from civilization. If I were in Mount Lion, grizzly of wolf territory, I would carry a gun. Moose are scary and huge and are not afraid of anything, especially in the fall, rut period, when testosterone kicks in. You need a really big, big caliber gun to stop a moose from charging and that's a heavy gun i've crossed paths with a moose three or four times but they are so big you can usually hear them crashing around long before you see them i've never had a stare down but my plans have always been that bear spray would disorient them enough for me to find someplace safe the biggest predator humans but see point one above. Number three, what I think happened. Much as I'd love to say it was a young Sasquatch, a skinwalker, or a wendigo, I'm guessing it was a disoriented backpacker that left their tent to crap and got confused. I was hiking a somewhat popular long loop trail, and I believe someone was probably hiking the opposite way. It stopped to camp somewhere on trail ahead of me, I was backwoods camping, not at a campground. Regulations are that you need to be 200 feet off the trail and into the woods to set up camp. So they would have been a regular quarter mile ahead of the trail, and I wouldn't have known unless they were nosy, or smelly enough for my dog to let me know. The most likely explanation is that they were heavily under the influence got up to crap and got lost on their way back to their tent and found my site. 
They approached my tent and realized they were wrong and tried to find their way back to their camp. Then, they heard my dog and me yelling to scare off a bear, and either thought we were a risk to them or too lit to answer back. The circle around my camp was several hundred feet, and my tent wouldn't be visible for most of the loop. I was camping between several spruce trees. Number four, I didn't get back to sleep. I couldn't get back to sleep. It was late September and sunrise was around 6 a.m. When we found the poop pile, I realized I really didn't think there would be anyone nearby as we were in a very tough area to get to, requiring going over two mountain summits for my direction and six other mountains in the other direction. The total hike was about 40 miles, IIRC. We were going to be out for three nights and four days. After I realized it was a human, my first assumption was that there was a lost hiker. I texted a friend that does search and rescue in the area to see if there were any reports of lost or overdue hikers. If there had been, I would have had my dog try to follow the trail to see if I could have found their campsite. As no one was missing, we broke camp and went on our way. Number 5. Yes, he was the best dog ever. I lost him about five years ago. I know that dog would die for me. Several years after this incident, I got diagnosed with cancer. Just a quick update, I've been in remission for several years and things look good. This dog was so in tune with me that he knew how shitty I was going to feel before I did. He would walk with me to the bathroom and sit right next to me as I puked my guts up. He'd walk me back to bed and let me rest my hand on his back if I needed a little help walking. Everyone has a heart dog. He was mine. I swear he knew I had cancer before I did. He used to sniff me right where my tumor was located. I still get teary-eyed thinking of him. Rest in peace, big guy. And that, dear listeners, is the end of these true Deep Woods stories. I am so sorry about the last story it got to me when I was ending it. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. And if you're awake, I hope you've enjoyed these longer versions of stories. Until next time, I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or 